Bill O'Reilly here. Welcome to the No Spin News, Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, Inauguration Day. So let's get right to it. Headline number one, no violence anywhere. I believe I told you that would be the case. And I'll run in the sound out a little later on. But there weren't any disturbances. There weren't any protests that we can find. And we had NPR watching, too, because I wanted to give a left-wing perspective, nothing. And it's not surprising because this whole military thing was hyped up um, to give Americans the impression that we are under siege by crazy right-wing fanatics. That's what this whole thing was. It was contrived. All right, so uh, Joe Biden. Um, I was very disappointed with the speech. I thought it was very mediocre. Um, Here's what I tweeted throughout the speech so you get a uh, real-time look of how I was reacting. Um, At 11.24, I set the stage and said, everything in Washington is calm. All the politicians are comfortable. You just saw Mike Pence there. Let's run in some B-roll of everything we have. Um, And it was. It was a very calm, um, even jovial uh, pre-game show, if you will, doing no menace in the air, nothing. Everybody looked good. It was cool day, but not blustery. Um, And so it was fine. Then at 1140, I said, nice rendition of the national anthem by Lady Gaga. No one knelt. We won't be seeing much kneeling during a Democrat administration. And that is absolutely true. So all of a sudden, the kneeling's going to go away. But Gaga nailed it. She did a nice job. 11.44, the nation's most committed left-wing Supreme Court Justice, Sonia Sotomayor, swears in Vice President Kamala Harris. Said they are politically akin. And if those ladies had their way, I tweeted, America would be a far different country, which is absolutely true. At 11.47, I said, I tweeted, Nice, this land and America, the beautiful rendition by Jennifer Lopez. There's Jennifer. And uh, there was no dancing, which was a good thing, probably, for the, <laughs> for the display. At 11.50, I said, quote, Crisp oath delivered by Chief Justice John Roberts, who will play a major role in any legal proceedings against Donald Trump. Okay, so keep your eye on Roberts. 12.06, I said standard political speech by President Biden. He condemned white supremacy and racism, called for unity a number of times, did not mention leftist anarchy or the cancel culture, did not mention those things. Hope I'm wrong, but I expect ideological governance from Mr. Biden, which will not result in national unity. And finally, the last tweet was dark light, purpose resolve. Joe Biden's speech was standard issue, no clarity on the division that does indeed threaten the United States of America. Disappointing. Okay, so uh, I'll get to my analysis after I run in three sound bites from the new president. Soundbite number one, go. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A 
cry for survival comes from planet itself, a cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. Now, is that domestic terrorism? Does that include Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement? You see, if you're going to do the unity thing, you've got to put all the hate groups into one pot. But he didn't do that, did he? Soundbite number two, go. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. Okay, does that mean no more anonymous sources in the press to destroy you, Mr. Biden, or your predecessor, Donald Trump? Is that what that what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, I mean, I'm a guy who deals in facts. So we must reject a culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. All right, so that's propaganda you're talking about, right? So where, where is that propaganda? Where does it lie? Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Where, where is it? We don't get that. We don't get anything specific. And the final soundbite, go. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial and victory is never assured. Through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifice and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. Now, that was the best part of this speech, because that's true. If you look at the history of this country, we have always turned wrongs around. Not perfectly, and it takes a while to do that. Slavery is a perfect example. It took a hundred years for African-Americans to get parity of opportunity in this country. Happened, but it took a long time. Depression took 12 years to turn it around. Okay, so summing up, whoever wrote Biden's speech wasn't going to be specific about anything, and that's a hallmark of Biden's campaign. He never says, well, this is what I'm going to do. All he had to say today would have been, I would like the people who want to impeach Donald Trump to stand down. I don't think that's necessary for our country going forward. I want to bring unity with the 74 million people who voted for Mr. Trump. I want to be respectful to them. I want to be their president as well. So therefore, I'm calling for this thing to go away, this impeachment. Now, that would have taken courage, and that would have put Joe Biden into the history books. But he didn't do it. I don't think he's capable of doing it. 
I don't think he's a courageous man. I've never seen him do anything courageous. And I'm not an ideologue. I'm not coming at it from a party point of view or any of that. I'm going to give him a chance. But in his entire career, I've never seen him do anything courageous. Now, I might have missed it. And if you've seen it, please write to me, Bill at BillOReilly.com. Now, the reaction to the speech was from the media. It's the greatest speech since Lincoln's second inaugural address. That's malice toward none. The greatest speech ever. Roll it. I thought it was a great speech. Um, I've been listening to these inaugural addresses since 1961. John F. Kennedy asked not. I thought this was the best inaugural address I ever heard. Okay. Now, this is speculation, and it might not apply to Mr. Wallace. But it's hard for me to believe as a historian that uh, anyone would take that point of view. However, you must understand when politicians and media people say things, they have an agenda. It is very important for certain news agencies to have access to President Biden. Very important. Now, Mitch McConnell is playing that game, too. He wants to be Biden's pal because he wants the Republicans to have a semblance of power. So that's why you're seeing McConnell slam Trump. Again, I'm not telling you anything specific here because it wouldn't be fair of me to do that. I am telling you that when you hear things like that that don't quite add up, there's usually a reason they're being said. All right, let's get back to the violence. Now, this was hyped by the media that there was going to be violence on Inauguration Day by deranged Trump supporters and white supremacists and militias and all of those people. They were going to go wild. Well, they didn't go wild. And here's what I said on January 12th. Go. FBI says there are going to be attacks everywhere on Inauguration Day. I would have liked to see the FBI say, hey, we could have some trouble at the state capitol in Washington, D.C., in the national capitol. Maybe we'll put the guard out there. But FBI didn't do that. Didn't have any warning about that. But now, Inauguration Day... All these right-wing goons are going to come out and cause trouble. And they'll be heavily armed. Do I believe that? No. That's why you're watching me right now, listening to me on the radio right now. That's why you're BillOReilly.com premium and concierge members. All right, Donald Trump. So he takes off in the morning. Uh, he made a mistake by not explaining why he did not go to the inauguration. All he had to say was, look, I don't want to be a, a distraction. And he would have been had he gone. Of course, everyone would have known that. Would have been tension in the gallery. So he could have said, look, I'm not going because of that. But he didn't say that because he doesn't listen to me. <laughs> anyway, he gave a speech at uh, Andrews Air Force Base before he departed for Palm Beach. I got two sound bites from the speech for you. Roll the first one. We must never forget that while Americans will always have our disagreements, 
We are a nation of incredible, decent, faithful, and peace-loving citizens who all want our country to thrive and flourish and be very, very successful and good. We are a truly magnificent nation. All Americans were horrified by the assault on our capital. Political violence is an attack on everything we cherish as Americans. It can never be tolerated. Now more than ever, we must unify around our shared values and rise above the partisan rancor and forge our common destiny. All right, that was nice. That was fine. Does President Trump believe that? Yeah, to some extent. But I believe he sees himself as a victim. Second soundbite, roll it. At the center of this heritage is also a robust belief in free expression, free speech, and open debate. Only if we forget who we are and how we got here could we ever allow political censorship and blacklisting to take place in America. It's not even thinkable. Shutting down free and open debate violates our core values and most enduring traditions. In America, we don't insist on absolute conformity or enforce rigid orthodoxies and punitive speech codes. We just don't do that. All right, now, this is the most important part of the day. Trump is condemning the censorship that took him off Twitter. Biden, if you noticed, was condemning false information. Not exactly justifying the social media companies that are practicing censorship. Not exactly but close. Those are the two positions. Which will prevail? It's going to be a battle. All right, at the Trump speech in Andrews Air Force Base were his family, Mark Meadows, Chief of Staff, Stephen Miller, who wrote that speech you just heard, uh, Cash Patel, um, Congressman Ronnie Jackson from Texas, Sean Spicer, and a bunch of others. Several hundred people there. Um, and uh, then the president took off at 9 a.m. He is in Palm Beach now. Before he left, the president pardoned a number of people. Uh, I was on a Hannity radio program today. He asked me about it, and I, I told him, honestly, I don't really care. Barack Obama and Bush the Younger, everybody pardons on their way out. You'll remember Bill Clinton pardoned that horrible Mark Rich and never explained it in a million years. The guy's dead now. The worst tax cheat in American history. Bannon got pardoned, Steve Bannon. Um, Lil Wayne got pardoned. Uh, what did, he had a possession of a firearm, I guess. Uh, Kodak Black, another uh, artist, he got pardoned. Kwame Kilpatrick, former mayor of Detroit, got pardoned for corruption. Um, and uh, Janine Pirro's former husband uh, got pardoned. And a bunch of others. But again, does it matter to you, to me? No, it doesn't matter. All right, let's bring in our guest, and I've been looking forward to talking to him. He's Dr. Jay Shuttleworth, coming out from Auburn, California. He's a professor of social studies at Queens College and City University of New York, but he bailed out in New York because New York is chaos, and he's in California, which is even more chaotic. Hey, doctor, at least you got good weather out there, right? All right. Well, I'm glad because things are not good in the uh, golden state. 
Anything stand out today in the inauguration to you? What stood out to me was this idea of stewardship, where he says, what will people say about this moment in the future? Will we have stood for truth and for justice? And he says, that's an ideal that we need to stand for. Um, you mentioned earlier the second inaugural. He does, or in, he does mention a quote from Lincoln in the first inaugural where he talks about the better angels. And to me, I felt that was an attempt at how can we reconcile um, two, two very divided wings ideologically in the country? Did you take anything specific from the speech at all? Did you get any indicator of what President Biden will do? What I liked is he said that we will engage with our allies. Um, you know, pretty much uh, an homage to JFK's uh, reaching out to the NATO allies in the 1960s. Um, and I agree, I think inaugurations are not a place to talk about specifics. They're a time to talk about broad ideals. And in this case, optimism, unity. Um, he, his first act in, in office was to do a silent prayer for the, uh, for the families of 400,000 people who died from COVID. Um, you know, and so to me, that struck me as a, a nice empathetic tone and I welcomed it. Okay, but when you have 25,000 troops uh, surrounding the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and you do have a divided country, as everyone knows, isn't it uh, incumbent upon the new president to give the nation a hint of how he's going to try to bring everybody together, give them maybe one or two things that he will do, he will champion to make that happen? Well, I don't know how long he wanted to speak at the inauguration. Again, I don't think that's um, the object. And if you look back at other famous inaugurations, I mean, you talked about um, Lincoln's second inaugural. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about JFK's in a bit. They don't offer specifics either, because I think if you offer specifics, um, you might be walking yourself into uh, you know, expectations uh, that might change later. And uh, frankly, I think it's very complex on how we bring people together. And he did hint at that, um, that he is the president of all people. Um, you know, and I think that's a first step. And I think that's the point of an inauguration is to signal, here's my first step, here's my outlook, and let my presidency, uh, you know, you know uh, let those things unfold. All right, I'm jaded. I uh, got nothing out of that speech as an American. I got nothing out of it, zero. Okay, so let's run down some uh, in, uh, fun facts on inaugurations. William Henry Harrison, all right, February 9th, 1773, he was born. Old guy when he took over. Uh, he was uh, Tippecanoe. That's what his nickname was. He was a fighter, Indian fighter. When he was inaugurated in 1841, he spoke for two hours in freezing cold weather with no jacket. And 90 days later, he was dead from pneumonia. Isn't that unbelievable? 30 days later, not 90, 30 days later, he's dead from pneumonia after giving a two hour speech in a cold. And I think, he, I think, you know, that weakened his immune system. I'm not a doctor, but that's what I look like from a historian. Uh, it's tragic and it does create a bit of a constitutional crisis. First of all, you're right. He speaks for almost two hours. The speech is amazing. It's over 8,400 words. He starts by invoking uh, the ideals of the ancient Roman Republic and then mentions the president's responsibility to uphold the Constitution, I think, 30 or 40 times. 
But you're right. Uh, he foregoes the hat, he foregoes the jacket, and he foregoes the carriage ride back to the White House. He actually goes back on horseback, and then he's dead, as you said, almost a month later. Yeah. But and then we got death, John Tyler, death, one of the wor worst presidents in the history of the country, because he was a slave kind of guy. Um, so Harrison is out of there. Now, Lincoln, uh, his inauguration in a second, as I write about in Killing Lincoln, my book, uh, Killing Lincoln, I thought was the best. Seven minute address, seven minutes. That's all it was. And of course, the famous uh, quote is with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness and a right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive to finish the work we are in, which is uniting the nation. All right. After the Civil War, um, bind up the nation's wound, care for him who have borne the battle for his widow and his offering. He's not just saying the North. He's saying everybody. I thought that was absolutely brilliant and the, the best in oral address. Do you agree? It's certainly in the top three, Bill. I mean, he has the extraordinary task of trying to reconcile a nation uh, that's been divided by war. Um, and what, what really struck me is on um, sentences 12 and 13, um, he says that slavery is the cause for this. And he says that yet we shouldn't judge people who have owned slaves, which I found to be almost a shocking statement. Um, but his goal here is how do we come together? That's and right. he's very forgiving. And I don't think you can forgive anybody who owns slaves, but his role as president was to come together. And by using malice toward none and in the first inaugural, the better <laughs> angels of our nature, I think he you know, sets it on that, on that trajectory at least. Listen, uh, the people who want to remove Abraham Lincoln's name from the high school in San Francisco have no blanking idea about the man. He wasn't operating on a moral imperative by saying, hey, if you own slaves, it's OK. He wasn't doing that. What he was trying to do was bring it all down so that people could practice citizenship in one nation again. That's called the greater good. Now, perhaps the most uh, charismatic president in my lifetime was John F. Kennedy, and here is his famous inaugural remarks. Go. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. JFK, 35th president, 43 years old when he gave that address. First Roman Catholic. And Joe Biden is the second Roman Catholic president. Now, it is... Stunning to me that some people think Joe Biden's address today was actually better than JFK's call for service, that all Americans unite to make their country better. How about you? What do you think? I'm not going to weigh in on that. I think it's too early. I think we need to see more about what Joe actually does uh, you know, to, to put these things into action. And you're right. This speech by JFK is very much about service. He later asks, Will you join in that historic effort? And again, JFK himself, a World War II vet, I think feels very strongly about this idea of giving selflessly to the country. And what I appreciate with Biden's tone 
is that his theme was American anthem and you know contrasted with Trump's American carnage, I think there's more potential for people to come together and to serve a common good. What do you mean by American carnage? Well, I think Trump's, well, that was a quote from Trump's uh, first inauguration and I felt his tone was a little bit dystopian. And again, he says that the problems in America, he alone is qualified to um, solve them. And you know whether or not he is or was, wasn't the point. The point was, I didn't hear the call for all Americans to join into uh, how do we make America better? And for Biden, until, I felt that he was speaking to all people. Not until today. I mean, Trump absolutely believed that he was walking into a corrupt situation and he wasn't going to sugarcoat it, which is why he won the first time around. And Biden is totally different than that. But again, I will be surprised if six months from now, we'll have you back, doctor, in six months, we see any kind of a unification platform by the new Biden administration. I hope we do, but I'll be surprised. Hey, Doc, thanks for helping us out. Enjoy California. Um, and let's get back to politics as usual after the inauguration coverage. Liz Cheney under fire in the House of Representatives. She's the number three Republican in the House and um, about 115 Republican Congress people want her to step down from her leadership position because she attacked Donald Trump. And Ms. Cheney says, I'm not going anywhere. And she probably won't. All right. But there's a lot of problems. As I mentioned, I was on the Hannity radio program today talking about the Biden speech. And last night on TV, Sean said this. Go. You're going to go along with all of this nonsense. We need new leadership in the U.S. Senate. You can represent the people of Kentucky. You're showing basically right now that you're the king of the establishment Republicans that, frankly, have always had and remain having contempt for President Trump, but more importantly, the 75 million Americans that voted for him. Okay, so as I told you in the beginning, there's always an agenda. McConnell's agenda is to be close with Joe Biden. That's not a bad agenda to have, but he did turn on Donald Trump in a way he should not have, and by doing so hurt the Republican Party. My union is Screen Actors Guild, and they are going to expel, I believe, Donald Trump. So he was in The Apprentice and worked in other television, and he's a member of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, as am I. The Guild, unfortunately, is a far-left union, okay? And it wants to expel Trump. I don't know exactly why. I am going to write a letter to them saying, please don't do that. I don't want my union to be a far-left kook outfit. But I believe they will expel Trump. And this hate continues to go on. Okay, not that Trump cares. He doesn't. He can still work wherever he wants to work. It's the symbolism of it. You know, SAG-AFTRA, I've been there. <clears throat> Got to be 35 years. And they've done okay for me as far as my benefits and my health plan and all that. And I needed their protection a couple of times from people who were doing bad things in the workplace to us. Uh, and they stepped up, but now it's radical left. Um, okay, now I promised yesterday I was going to give a solution to the division, the divisiveness, and all the 
hatred in America, and here it is. So you remember the Tea Party, okay? In February 2009, the Tea Party emerged, and it had millions of people behind it. And there were some politicians who actually ran on a platform that the Tea Party put out. It lasted seven years until 2016. It was a very powerful movement. And it was essentially a conservative movement that wanted to get back to traditional conservative principles. So I would like to see a new movement called the free speech movement. My vision, and I can't do this because I have this news operation to run and I've got radio and I've got, I'm up to here. I can't do it. Somebody else has to do it. But the vision is this, that you organize a free speech movement. It's almost like the NRA or any of these movements that protect uh, certain things. So you're protecting free speech. You charge people $25 a year to become a member and you get a card. You're a member of the free speech movement. I think millions of people will sign up. So that immediately gives you enough money, excuse me, to market things. All right. You market things that you want to do. What do you want to do? Number one, the most important thing for the free speech movement is to specifically call out companies and people who are promoting the cancel culture and the lack of due process. Get them on the screen. So, for example, if a major corporation fires somebody for what that person said, and it could be left or right, banishes them, like the Screen Actors Guild may banish Trump. You make a big deal out of it. You get on the radio and TV shows. You put it out there. And I know what you'll say. Well, the social media, you don't do it in a hateful way. You don't make threats. No boycotts. No boycotts. You just tell people, here's what it's happening. Here's the Hollywood movie studio doing this. Here's the major corporation doing that. Here's this individual calling for Newsmax to be banished. Whatever it may be. You do a surge of public relations and marketing to let everyone in the country know who the villains are, who the totalitarians are. We need that, and it's got to be organized. It's got to be a headquarters, all right? And you can do it. $25 a year, okay? You get 5 million people, and how much money is that? Do the math. Okay. That's what I would like to see, because the haters have to be held to account. On the subject of the haters, here's a reaction to President Trump leaving office. The, the disgraced 45th president of the United States and First Lady Melania Trump uh, walking to Marine One for their last ride on Marine One ever. He looks small. He just looks like a small man. Uh, and that is exactly uh, the way that he has handled his uh, presidency since he lost. 
and he just has appeared smaller and smaller and less and less courageous. There was no word of comfort for the 400,000 families who have lost someone to this virus. There was no word of compassion for them. He leaves tomorrow at dawn, slinking out before the inauguration of the man who soundly beat him. He sneaks out early tomorrow as the only president in living memory to face the legitimate prospect of post-presidential conviction in the Senate and a lifetime ban on holding office and potential federal and state criminal charges in the courts. Other than that, how was the play, Mr. President? Was it worth it? You see, now, she hates Trump, and she's happy about hating Trump. And the others fall into that category as well. And there are legions of these people. Now, uh, the COVID death rate in uh, the United States, 412,000. If President Trump is responsible for all of those deaths, I think he might have been impeached because of that, right? Because that's what the hate Trump media put on him in the election. Trump is responsible for the 400,000 deaths in the USA. Well, if that's true, wouldn't you impeach him for that? Of course, it wasn't true. Now, I have a soundbite from January 22nd, 2020. I'm not going to play it. I'll post it on BillOReilly.com. I was the first national anchor man, as you may know, um, to warn about COVID. We're proud of that. This is what we do here. We're ahead of the story. Our predictions are 90% correct. And when we're wrong, is usually a reason. Okay, a reason that we're wrong. Um, I do believe, because I know a lot of people who lost loved ones because of COVID, that this is probably the worst thing that's happened in my lifetime because of so many people have suffered under this. And it cost President Trump re-election. COVID beat him. COVID beat him. Because there were enough people that bought into it's Trump's fault and enough people who said, I am terrified of this. It's not getting any better. And I'm going to vote just for the other guy because I, we need something different. Now, if that vaccine had been announced before Election Day, and remember, Pfizer had it. They knew it was there, but they didn't say anything. Trump would have won. But because they held that back, he lost. This is my opinion and my opinion only. But I think it's right. The vaccine distribution will be Biden's first big test. And we'll see a month from now if things are better. I hope they are. This day in history, January 20th, 1945, FDR inaugurated for the fourth time. Fourth time. He was very, very sick. His final inaugural address was just minutes. All right. And then he died three months later. FDR served 13 years as president. It was during the war and during the Depression, and Americans loved him because a lot of his policies were successful. He should not have run for the fourth term. Harry Truman ascended to the presidency. I lay this out for you in Killing the Rising Sun. If you want to know what happened, there it was. There was nothing in the Constitution that barred FDR from running for the fourth term. In fact, Grant Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson all ran for third terms. They all lost. All right. That happened 1945.
quick break. Back with some provocative mail and a final thought about my attendance at Ronald Reagan's inauguration. It's another morning and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash Carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash Carlson and save 20% today. Uh, let's get to the mail. John, Bill, the radicals in the riot are not true Trump supporters. Interesting thought. The radicals in, that stormed the Capitol hurt Donald Trump more than any other thing in his life. That's all I'll say. Christine, Bill, you mentioned that President Trump won 84% of the vote in all the counties in the country. How is it possible he didn't win the Electoral College? Because the population centers, the big cities, are where most of Americans now live. L.A., L.A. County, New York City, Chicago, Houston, overwhelmed the rural folks. Steve, I don't understand, Bill, why you want Biden to succeed. If he succeeds, it's just more watering down the republic and the Constitution. Well, he won't succeed if he does that. My job is to protect you, to look out for you. And it's better for the country if the economy comes up, if COVID goes down, if We do come together through some miracle, and that's what it would be. Better for you, better for everybody. So I'm not rooting against a president, any president, based on ideology or political party. Not doing it. David, concierge member. Thank you, David. Bill, I could not be more appreciative of your final thought about hatred. What an insidious emotion. Certainly is. Hatred will destroy the people who hate. And you watch what happens to the media. I've been right on in telling you it's going over the cliff. You're reading all the articles. They're all going. Tracy Elliott, Lansing, North Carolina. Do you think Vice President Pence has a future in politics? Yes, he can compete, but the country would have to really be in bad shape for the nation to turn to him. David Phillips, Bellefontaine, Ohio. Bill, all I hear every day is cancel culture. Why not call it what it really is, fascism? That's what I call it and have for years, David, because you're absolutely right. Dan Seville, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Curious to know if it is a federal law that an incoming senator become vice president is allowed to choose a successor. The governors of the state choose senators to replace those who are sick, retired or run for another office, as we are seeing in California. Adele Watros, Yelm, Washington. Bill, thank you for having Ben Stein on. 
And thank you for the info on Tokyo Rose. That was yesterday's program. If you missed it, check it out. I thought yesterday's program was excellent, if I do say so myself. Steve Spencer, Bloom, Broomfield, Colorado. Thanks for the truth, Bill. It is appreciated. Thank you for noticing, Steve. It is appreciated. All right. Uh, We have the greatest deal. Killing the Mob is the next book. Comes out May 4th. Pre-order. You're going to love it. You get half off Killing Crazy Horse or The United States of Trump, which is certainly worth reading because it explains a lot about how Donald Trump handled himself. 50% off either or if you pre-order Killing the Mob. Writing to us, do not be pawky. P-A-W-K-Y, pawky. Back with a final thought in a moment. Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundations in the Line of Duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings and barbecues. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. All right, here's the final thought of the day. It was January 21st, 1985. Ronald Reagan being inaugurated for the second time. Outside the Capitol, it was seven degrees, wind chill 25 below. Standing outside the Capitol was me, your humble correspondent, on assignment for KATU-TV in Portland, Oregon. I was the anchorman there. Portland was a far different place back then than it is now. I was freezing, but I did the live shot, all right, and I didn't shake. I had been colder than that one other time, and I tell you about that in the message of the day posted on BillOReilly.com. But that was my first inaugural experience. Mr. Reagan was sworn in inside the Capitol. They weren't insane to put him outside like we had today because it wasn't that cold there in Washington. But I will never forget standing there for an hour in that weather. I thought you'd like that story. You know, one of the reasons that I can deliver news analysis in a factual and clear way is I've got 45 years of news experience. We'll see you tomorrow.